Ian. Dave. Pat. Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, we have a guest on the show tonight. Yes, we've convinced yet another person to join us. Uh, Pat Curtin, um, all around um, Colorado car bon voyant and uh, Pike's Peak enthusiast, writer, car restorer. Delightful, Welcome. weird car Twitter presence. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That is more than an intro I could ever need. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show uh, tonight. So we we've known each other uh, just kind of across the regions of Colorado for a while. Uh, we first interacted with you at the Unser Outdoor Karting Track that is sorely missed uh, by Ian and I. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, back in the day, you guys were out there, it seemed, at least three or four times a week. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish. From, yeah. from the time I started, it seemed like you guys were just always out there, you know. And then we got that league racing, that kind of stuff going before we started to shut down. So, uh, you yeah. know, you guys were super involved. It was really cool to be hanging out with you guys. And it's nice to know that I knew you before Apex Adjacent. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's my my claim to fame. Yeah, all the cars, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Going in clear coat. That's the secret. See, that's the OG right there. OG. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. We put the O in OG. <laughs> and and you so you've seen us both race carts a lot, and so and you worked there. I don't, did you work on the carts? So at the time I started there kind of right out of college, I was looking for a job, kind of wanting to get into cars. Um, couldn't really find anything. Mm -hmm. And then started as like a customer service guy there. Okay. Um, once I had been there about five or six months, they kind of saw that, right. I was real into the racing, right. Really picking up everything that was going on. And I kind of moved into a management position. So by the end of everything, I was managing most of the events and stuff over there. Um, yeah. As you guys both know, right, the owner of the outdoor end of things kind of left to start his own go-kart team. Yep. And they've been doing fairly successful, but, right, he kind of left me high and dry there in the end. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Well, um, I, I was asking because I just wanted to apologize because, <laughs> as, because I was there all the time and we were there all the time. I'm sure that we did not leave the carts in as good a shape as we found them all the time. So that, and that's totally fine. That's for the mechanics to deal with. Right. right? Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I, gotcha. I got a guy for that. I got a guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As long as I get it off the track, we're all good. Yeah, so. I mean, if we weren't breaking them, then they wouldn't have anything to do. So we're, exactly. yeah, we're job creators, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> My most spectacular off there. And I, I love talking about this because uh, with people who know this track is, it's such like a, a weird thing, but basically for anyone who has never been there. It's like, it was a track that was like laid out on the side of a hill. Essentially. So there was a lot of elevation gain for a cart track. Um, and at the far end of it, there was uh, like a field and a drop off to a fence like that. It, it like rolled down to a fence. I went off so spectacularly at the top of the hill that I went backwards and came to a rest against the fence at the bottom of the hill. Uh, in a rental cart <laughs> and that was right as at the at the track there right that was the furthest point and the only point on the track that we couldn't see yep so, <laughs> i get out 
I had to yeah. get out and go like this <laughs> and stand. I had to walk back up the hill because I was just like, I don't think they know I'm here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like all the track marshals are right. Like 15, 16. If they weren't literally counting carts going around, they would easily lose a cart back over that back end. <laughs> Yeah, and if it was wet or anything, right? There's just no way you were getting anybody out. Most times you'd have to stop the race. Yeah. There's was, been uh, some attrition in the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we, we really miss it, uh, but we're very thankful that we met you there and that we've uh we've been Twitter buddies since then for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I really miss the track, but you know, as I was telling you guys earlier. Um, we've kind of, I've kind of moved on to bigger and better things. You know, carts are fun, but cars are cooler. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So they had, it was great events though. And the, I, I, I imagine that the, like just the logistics of like putting those events together was probably actually pretty good training for some of the other stuff that you've been involved in. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I wasn't really running the events out there at Unser. We had a guy, uh, CJ, I'm sure you guys both remember. Yep. Uh, he was the one really strong arming a lot of the uh, the events and that sort of stuff. But I definitely got a lot of hands on experience there. And then uh, as soon as the track closed down, I actually went and interned down for the hill climb. So my right first on. running down there was the 97th um, when they the last year of the motorcycles and kind of transitioning over. But <laughs> I got to go down there and help out, you know, set up the event and just from being at the karting track and then turning around to something as big and massive as Pikes Peak, there was still some overlap, right? I could see the value in tech and that kind of yeah. stuff. So. Yeah. And then, this, since then I've just right fallen in love with Pikes Peak. I could spend my whole life up there on the hill. I've always been fascinated by it and I've lived here like a decade and I've never, I've still never been to a yeah. race because it's so daunting to just go and watch because there's, it's such a commitment to it's like a full weekend, right? That you kind of have to commit to it. Um, what, so how did you first become aware of it? And like, what have you been doing with it now? Like what, what, what's been your role? Okay. Yeah. So my first year, right. I interned there basically helping set up the event, basically doing whatever I could to help, right. Set hay bales, all that kind of stuff, climbing up and down the mountain. Um, right. I'm obviously into Twitter. So I was really pushing on the live tweeting and getting that stuff going. Um, oh, nice. My, my stuff on race day was, you're right, live tweeting that 97th race. And then for the 98th race, I basically wrote out all the live tweeting and everything. And then they actually, I'm sorry, I got that backwards. I did two years of live tweeting. And then my third year, I actually got to interview all the drivers up at the summit. So oh, that was kind of awesome. like, yeah, that was kind of the big buildup. And then... You know, since then, right, the, the events kind of changed around a little bit. I've played around a little more. Uh, I've worked Gateway. Um, and then this year, I think I'm going to try and get into kind of tech and safety. So, Oh, wow. Okay. Helping out all over the mountain wherever I can. Always wanting to learn. Um, and right, being the third oldest motorsport in the United States, uh, there's so much history. And a lot of people don't seem to enjoy the history as much as somebody like me. So, Yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely it's super cool and like the old videos of like or old pictures or whatever of what they were doing back in the day are just insane like just i mean even uh so the the carting place they have an old pike's peak car um in the in the lobby there and the craziest thing to me i mean there's lots that's crazy about it but the craziest thing to me is the drive shaft that goes right in between your feet yeah just spinning right underneath you 
just insane. Yeah, as you climb 5,000 feet, you know, it's no big deal. Whatever. <laughs> On gravel, by the way. Yeah, so yeah. You're, you're definitely getting gravel flung at you, surely, from that drive shaft. Oh, yeah. Any of those old guys. I mean, you talk about, like, Louis Unser, any of those old guys, even mm-hmm. going back to where they were, like, riding mechanics and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I've heard a few old interviews with, like, Louis Unser and some of those older guys who ran mostly in the dirt. And a lot of them say that, like, no matter what, you just got to be full throttle and pointing at the mountain, right? Even if you're all the way out and the back end sliding away from you, as long as you have your nose pointed towards the mountain and you're full throttle, you're going to be okay. <laughs> but that mentality is just insane to think about on some of those turns. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like Ian and I threw down a, a, a sim day the other day. We were playing some Assetto course and we were driving a classic F1 car. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it just like when you, when you put yourself in those things or see those physical pieces of metal, like it's it, the impact of the danger just becomes so much more real. Like the amount of power that the cars have, the, the fact that you're 5,000 feet into the air, like it's all so like, I, like, yes, F1 used to be crazy unsafe. Right. But like, but they weren't going up the, up, freaking mountain you know yeah yeah they they at least had guardrails on both sides <laughs> <laughs> yeah for better or worse right yeah right, right. yeah usually yeah. worse i mean i think <laughs> the worst of it at like the like the peak of the danger in f1 it was something like 25 percent of the of the drivers that started the season did not finish the season because they were no longer with us right right that Which was insane I was just reading a book on Ferrari history and like the, uh, the 250 GTOs when those were running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they go through like 13 or 14 drivers in the three seasons that they ran them. Like it's just unbelievable how fast they're moving through people. Yeah. Racing drivers used to just be expendable people. Like they were just commodities that you were just swapping it out, you know, exactly. like you do yeah. like brake pads. Oh, like oh, we gotta we gotta change the brake pads. Oh, and the driver died again. They're, they're a wear so. item. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, dear God, that's yeah. one of my one of my favorite classic racers was a guy named uh, Mastin Gregory who raced mm-hmm. in kind of the fifties and sixties. He was from Kansas City, so he was known oh. as the Kansas City Flash. Okay, uh, big like Coke bottle glasses. But his claim to fame was that anytime he was going to be in an accident, he would jump from the car. <laughs> <laughs> and that, like. That that's just unreal. Yeah. I mean, hey, did, how long did it work for him? Uh, that, it, it seemed like it worked more than a handful of times. He was known for. It. <laughs> I mean, you know, hey. Yeah, I like. That. Not, I like. I like that. Like, I'm not going to stick around and yeah, receive I, consequences for my mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so Ian and I have never, we've never been to Pikes Peak. I've been living in Colorado since 2000. You know, I, I've driven my old Saab up it uh, once, right? Which okay. was hilarious. Um, uh, but it, <laughs> and a bad decision, but we've never, never been to the race and we really, really need to go. Like for anybody that is even nearby, like what, besides the history of it, why do you think it's an, important for folks to attend? Pikes Peak. Um, I mean, in my eyes, it is the event in Colorado. I mean, you look back into the into history, and we had all sorts of racetracks, that kind of stuff throughout history. But the hill has always been there, and 
It was started by Spencer Penrose back in 1916, right? It just has so many connections to Colorado Springs. Um, Spencer Penrose also started the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo and actually founded the Broadmoor. So he was kind of a big baller back in the day, back in 1916. And I think it was 1915, they had put up the horse carriage road. And he said, I would like to run a race up the mountain. And Colorado Springs came back to him and said, well, we, we can't really run a race up here. And he said, I'll put down a half million dollars to help pave this road. <laughs> and sure enough, they did. And for the next, there, were, there was some segment of time that in the contract, he was given the mountain every 4th of July. And oh. he could run the race on the 4th of July. Okay. So for, for a long, long time, it was right our independence celebration here in Colorado. But yeah. that's kind of fallen away in recent years just because of the logistical land and all that together. So. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, but we, yeah, you look, you look at like huge names. There's, there's been so many people that have run the mountain that are just huge racing names, right? The Unser's, of course, are, are massive. You look at like Group B and Michelle Mouton. Yeah. Uh, all the way up to, to modern stuff. We got Sebastian Loeb and Romain Dumas. And then, of course, nowadays we got Robin Shute, who's literally building this car-, car in his garage out in England and now has become the three-time king of the mountain. Like, crazy. It's, it's hard not to find something cool in all the little facets of Pikes Peak. Well, I think that's, by the way, uh, just a side note to your thing, $500,000 in... 1916 is 13.6 million today. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, but it, and it was originally like a uh, a publicity stunt, right? It was like a way to get people to the Broadmoor essentially, right? Like it was or it was like related to he was trying to attract people to his other things that he had, I think. You're right. I wasn't I'm not 100% sure if the Broadmoor was actually open when the first race ran, but it was within right. 3 or 4 months of being finished. So it was the draw of getting everybody out there. Right. And right he had built the Broadmoor as this big European uh, getaway, right? Kind of in the style of what people overseas would do. So the mm-hmm. idea was that Europe, people from Europe would fly over, right? Kind of spend the summer here at the Broadmoor and then go see the race while they were in town. Yeah, very cool. But yeah, to what you were getting at too, is like one of the, I think the coolest thing about Pikes Peak is that it's one of the few remaining things in motorsport where like you can legitimately have somebody building something in their garage and have it run competitively with factory teams and you know and and long long rate long-term racing teams and stuff like that that just doesn't exist really anymore i mean there's a little bit maybe in lamar but not any not like it is in pikes peak yeah yeah no and never quite to the same degree, right? Like one I'm thinking of recently is there's a kid here in town, uh, Trevor Aweda, mm-hmm. and he has an Audi 4000 that he's getting ready to run. This will be his second time, I believe. But right, his dad's been running for four or five years. And so getting back to Pikes Peak, it's just all about family and yeah. right, repeat runners at the mountain. That's so, amazing. Yeah. yeah, his dad ran a, a boss Mustang for a, a while, right? Yeah. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. I couldn't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. No, there was an excellent article in a magazine we happened to come across called Shift Magazine uh, about him. Yeah, in issue one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I happen to know Shift. Yeah, I've been doing plenty of editing for them and then a few little articles here and there. 
Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, Shift Magazine is an online magazine that's completely free. It's uh, just a great, well-designed PDF that you can download um, of uh, Colorado car culture, automotive, uh, uh, like motorsports, all kinds of stuff, like uh, largely motorsport and, uh, and, and racing centric. But still, like, yeah, there's a, a great article about uh, the gentleman dry, uh, building the Audi in his garage. Uh, yeah, and and you've written a couple articles for it as well, right? Yeah, I'm trying to remember my early earlier articles. I'm working on the third issue right now. We're pretty deep into the production run here. Um, well, you, you had one that I that I was really excited to talk about, which is the case, which was the case for Colorado, as like kind of the the idea of the article was like, you know, we have the, all these other places in in our heads about like kind of epicenters of car culture in in the U.S., but that Colorado is, it's kind of a singular, uh, a singular uh, center for car culture too. Um, so I, I was curious, like, you know, what, what drove you to, to want to write that? Was there like somebody, did somebody say something and you got a chip on your shoulder about it? Or was it just like, Hey, I don't think people know about this. Yeah, I, I think it, it probably leans more towards the latter, right? Okay. Um, I'm definitely following all these automotive outlets that, you know, love to cheer about California and Angeles mm-hmm. Forest and that kind of stuff. And it's like, hey, out here in Colorado, we have half the state that's covered in mountains. I mean, there is plenty of good driving roads if you know where to look. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. yeah my whole my whole argument with there was that although we all kind of look at Southern California as the place for car culture there's been plenty of other stuff that has helped to make car culture great. Um, we, we had plenty of huge racetracks, as I was mentioning earlier. There was one um, Overland Park way back in the day. So that was one of the first racetracks. And then we had Continental Divide, which was down near like Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. And um, lots of guys who raced at Continental Divide actually also, right, they'd use that as kind of the running track between Pikes Peak. Okay. But Guys as big as like uh, Ken Miles and Carol Shelby would run out at uh, Continental Divide. That's actually where my boss's dad met Carol Shelby. Oh, so they had some right kind of family ties there. Um, so Flo Farland, I work for Farland Classic Restoration. Um, my boss is Jack Farland. His dad is a gentleman named Flo Farland, who started a Chrysler dealer back here in the 1960s. So just getting to be involved with all that Colorado culture and getting, getting to meet him and realize that, oh, there's a lot more Colorado car stuff going on than we realized. Yeah. Uh, just like one other little one, I was reading that, that Ferrari 250 GTO book and one of the original uh, customer cars from Ferrari was a 250 GTO in blue that came to a gentleman here in Denver. Interesting. Oh, so, okay. yeah. He only owned it for about a year and a half before selling it down to a guy in New Mexico. But um, that's kind of our cool claim to fame on the 250 GTO. That's interesting. Colorado is certainly underrated. I don't think I really truly appreciated like the car culture in Colorado until like Ian and I like really dove into doing this. Right. Like, and also I didn't really appreciate it until I started doing like some deep dives on Craigslist, like, and comparing like Colorado Craigslist to surrounding areas, like I'm from Kansas City, right? Like they can't like 
I would look at Kansas City Craigslist because maybe there's something I could buy out there, drive back, you know, blah, blah, blah. Take it over. Yeah. Yeah. And Colorado is just this, just this abnormality of like such eclectic cars that just, and all that stuff just eventually filters down to Craigslist when they're the ninth owner. And it's, it's a beautiful bouquet of just weird stuff that shows up, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. There's a, a Datsun 510 that's been bouncing around Craigslist for a few months now and it goes to a new owner. And then I hear that they can't quite <laughs> figure out these engine issues and it goes on to the next one. So. Yeah. There, there's plenty of that stuff moving around and all sorts of weird oddities seem to end up here too. Um, one that I keep seeing is like VW Brasilias. Have you guys ever heard of those? Oh no. Let me, let me pull up a picture and show the folks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, VW Brasilia. Huh. So as far as I know, they're a variant of the type oh. three. But yeah. they were only oh, built yeah. for like Brazilian markets. Oh wow, okay. Now let's share. Are it you sharing sure a browser? Okay. Yeah. yeah, here we go. Yeah. It's fine, Google. I know I'm sharing. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, so yeah. these guys like little wagon buddies. Yeah. And those terrible little double headlight setups. Yeah. Oh yeah, look at that. Okay. Okay. Huh. huh. Yeah. That's really interesting. It is like a bent version of um like the 412 or whatever. Like it uh, looks I never like... even think of the 412, yeah, but it's very close to the 412. Yeah. And this really is the precursor close. to your R32. This is your <laughs> great 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 grandpappy. Yeah. That's, so we just had this golf at Farland that I had never heard of. And you guys might know it. It was a G60 supercharged and all wheel drive. I have never. Uh, so was, I didn't know they had a, the rally version, I think was all wheel drive. Was that's, um, but I thought the G60 was in the Scirocco, right? Oh, there you go. Correct. Yeah. So, so that one you're looking at there. Yeah. We had car number 63 of whatever the run was there. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. But uh, apparently that was kind of the precursor to the R, but Very super cool. rare. Yeah. That's yeah. really rare. No kidding. Yeah. So, so for anyone who doesn't know, describe Farland and what, what yeah. goes on there, what happens behind these doors. Yeah. And what your role is there. Okay. Yeah. So I started at, Farland Classic Restoration here in Englewood back in October of 2019. Okay. Um, I'm the social media and help out with marketing and some of the sales there. But basically, we are a Concord level restoration shop. Um, we'll do full nut and bolt restorations on all sorts of rare American, Italian, European type stuff. Um, kind of our two big ones last year were uh, 1952 Hudson Hornet. And oh. a 1973 uh, Ferrari Daytona. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, lots of lots of playing around in kind of that older European stuff. Lots of carburetors, playing around with that as well. So that's nice. am- amazing. Yeah, nice. And and you guys have started doing some electric uh, conversions. That's been a big part of the business for a while. What are you seeing? Any like? Because I, I think we've talked about this before, like, you know, the, I think the initial kind of trend was sports cars, you know, like the 911s and things like that. And I'm, 
I keep hoping that people are going to do like vans and oh, like, yeah. you know, big luxury car, like a Lincoln town car would be, or like a continental would be like yeah. the perfect thing, right. For an electric conversion. Are you, are you guys starting to see more of those or is it still more on the sports car end of things? Uh, so yeah, we do a lot of the electric conversions on sports car type stuff right now. Mm-hmm. And kind of how our electric setup works is we will work with kind of electric uh, conversion manufacturers like electric GT or moment sure. motors down in Texas. And so they basically will help us out with a kit and then we do all the install on mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, I did go out to a show called fully charged um, yeah. back in October and got to really learn about a lot of this electric conversion stuff. Kind of got to meet the team at EV West, those groups, that kind of stuff. And a lot of the stuff we're seeing right now is just because that has already been designed and converted over. Right. It's real easy to work with air cooled stuff. Right. Um, you, you know, like on our Porsche, we have the electric motor mounted to an EV West uh, transfer plate. And then that mounts to the original Porsche transaxle. So it's still actually a five speed. Oh, really cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's a fairly easy install. You got to wire controllers and charge point and batteries. But other than that, I mean, it can essentially drop into a car. Um, but then, you know, talking about those bigger boats and stuff, I think those would definitely be more applicable to electric conversion because you, you just got to balance range versus power. Sure. Right? And everybody wants all the power in the world and all the range in the world. But right. if you can work one of those back a little bit, it'll help you a ton. And something like a Lincoln Continental, you have so much space to work with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can throw batteries between the frame rails back in the trunk, right? There's so many more options for you where like on our Porsche 912, we have, five Tesla batteries up in the front mm-hmm. under, under the hood. But then other than that, we really can't fit anymore underneath the car. Right. Well, yeah, that's part of it. And then the other part too, is like, you know, the cool part about a Lincoln Continental or, you know, a Volkswagen bus or something like that was never like, was never the engine was never the power, you know, so you're not, losing anything you're there's only things to gain right like you're only breathing new life into something um and you're not like upsetting anybody or or losing like you know the the sensation of a a noisy engine and all that sort of stuff you know exactly and at farland right we we try and balance that a little bit like our porsche conversions the two we've done in-house so far are both porsche 912s so they're the four cylinder it's not quite as sacrilegious yeah but, you know, some people, some Porsche people walk into the building and won't even look at the car. They're, you know, that's absolutely sacrilege. There's no mm-hmm. reason for that. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, and I, so we have an 85 Carrera and like that one went through a flood. It sat in a flood up in New York for like two and a half weeks. And that motor is seized. We, we sent the motor back to the family and they decided we could go electric and give this car another life. So, yeah, it, it's easy to get mad about electric, but there's a lot of practical applications for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's funny. I think it, I think part of it is probably just like self-selection, like the people who are into cars and early adopters are also the type of people who buy sports cars, probably. And that's probably a lot of the reason why this was the first wave. It's just funny that like, it's maybe not the best application for it, but it it's a really cool idea. And I'm really excited to see like where it goes from here for sure oh absolutely you know and like 
you know, that Hudson I mentioned, something like that, that was, there's 70 feet long and there's yeah. 30 feet of space inside. That is just asking for a, uh, an electric swap. Right. right. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's right. Balancing expectations. That's all we do over at Farland. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. A lot of times we'll get somebody who comes in and they write, it's a one family car and they've loved it its whole life, but it's a 72 Monte Carlo. And right. we're like, Hey, you know, even if we put in all the time and effort to restore this, it's going to be worth about a quarter of what this restoration will cost. Yeah. So yeah. do we want to get into that? Probably not. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of a uh, heartbreak built into that line of work for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta often tell people that their beloved car is closer to worse, worthless than they think. Right, right. Yeah. Do you watch that uh, BBC show Repair Shop at all? Have you seen that? Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Oh, yeah. Like every, I mean, it's these restoration experts in the UK, and like you can bring them, you know, an old typewriter cash register, you know, ceramics that have been broken, stuff like that. Every now and then, people bring them things that are, you know, largely worthless. But it's a thousand percent sentimental value, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and seeing people want to have things continue to live on because of that value, and just disregarding the financial value of it is is something very interesting. Yeah, right. That's that's actually how our our Hudson Hornet was. Um, okay. You know, even at the top end, Hudsons aren't quite what we we put into this one. But it was a family that had owned it for just about fifty years here in Denver. And they were getting ready for a big family reunion. So we were going to present the car at the family reunion. Oh, that that's was, awesome. That went over real well. Yeah, they love that. So. Yeah, that's amazing. What color, what color was that car? Uh, it was kind of a two-tone, like gray over blue. Oh, okay. Okay, never mind. Because I think I've seen, there's another one kicking around Denver that I think is yellow, but I've never, um, but it didn't look, it doesn't look like it's been restored. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. This, so this one actually, it lived at the Forney for the Forney Museum here in town for probably mm -hmm. 10 or 15 years. Oh, interesting. So we also took it over there. It had a, a friend it went in with. So we brought the car back over and got some shots for that owner. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah I mean, it, it's cool. I get to spend right half my day fighting with photos and teaching everybody how to work a computer. And then the other half, I'm getting taught all the fun carbs and how to get stuff around town. That's but a great trade-off, to be honest. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I rode in a BMW Isetta on Tuesday, so I really can't complain. <laughs> you well, rode in one? Yeah, so what was it like more being with another person? human being in that car? <laughs> oh, it was, it was terrible. We were bumping elbows the whole time, right? And we, we just looked like goofballs, the two of us going on the date in this thing. <laughs> That's amazing. Is, is this it here, the red and, and white one? Yeah, yeah, exactly there. Oh, and so, wow. That's actually the most produced single cylinder car of all time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That Look at its little face. Bit of trivia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. it, is, it, it is terrifying to ride in. I mean, you get in it and it's like, this would be cool in a 600 year old Italian city, but right. anywhere else I'm going to get squashed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. You mean it's not fun? being next to like an escalade in that <laughs> yeah 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 uh -huh. i really get to notice how shiny their wheels are yeah. <laughs> you're it's the size of the a pillar in in the in the escalade yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's crazy that's amazing yeah 
No, that's great. Yeah. I once saw a, someone exiting the highway in a Porsche 550 replica or, you know, something. But, you know, I mean, it's a tin can and it's tiny. And they were on I-70 at like I-70 in Quebec. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. That, that's terrifying. I mean, I've driven a few of those. Uh, we've had a few like mid 50 speedsters and stuff. And even those, it right, you you just feel like you're so exposed, even more than like a Volkswagen bug. Yeah, you'd yeah. have more coverage on a scooter. Yeah. Well, and the sill line is like down here, right? Like you're sitting above the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially in the speedster, like I would say that the middle of my chest is probably the bottom of the belt, or the top of the belt line. Yeah. <laughs> crazy just nips up exposed to the elements yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah and then you think about somebody like david donner running an rsk at pike's peak in the 60s and it's like yeah i'm okay thanks <laughs> <laughs> that is wild that is wild pat yeah oh my god wow yeah no that's that's fantastic yeah um so i see. i guess that 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 brings up a good question so have you ever had a car or could, or your uh, a family car or anything like that, that you would talk yourself into spending way more money to have restored than it would ever be hope to have it be worth any day. Oh, that's that's terrible because my daily driver is a 1987 BMW E30. Mm-hmm. So I would throw all the money in the world at that to get all the Alpina bits and okay. that kind of stuff, but. Uh, we also had a 1979 Volkswagen bus growing up. Oh, that was, man. that was my first car. Nice. Um, and going, going back to the electric stuff, that's one that I think I would go electric on and just drive until the cows came home. Oh God. I, like an electric VW bus just seems like such a, a no brainer to me. Right. As yeah. like a, like a, that's a, like a retirement toy. Just, an electric VW bus is perfect. Like you got nowhere to be. We can charge every four hours, whatever, you know? Um, I mean, that's, that's perfect. Like that, uh, an electric Volkswagen bus on highway one, just going up and down the coast was just like, yeah, all, all day long. And that's Mm -hmm. so funny. You pulled up that picture because mine looked exactly like that one. Oh, amazing. 79 in red and it did have the uh, the roof rack well we've got that bus right here (laughs) the big reveal (laughs) unless ian fell into a giant crypto stash that he didn't tell me about i don't think i didn't know apex adjacent was funded like that ian yeah yeah so you said alpina bits would you go would you go uh your dream restoration of your e30 would you go period correct would you go modern? Would you go what? Where, what would you do with it? I, I think no, I, no, no budget capital. Okay, I'm I'm gonna be a little lame here. Um, I drive the E, so that's a 2.7 liter inline six. But I've driven it about five years now, and it has been bulletproof reliable. Uh, it's a little slow, but I don't mind. I grew up driving a Volkswagen bus. So yeah, everything's fast. At all. Yeah. yeah, everything's fast. I'm flying in this thing. <laughs> yeah. um, so the guy who had owned it before me was a BMW master mechanic and he had converted it to manual. Oh, okay. So I'm already good there. I have uh, houndstooth seats in cloth all throughout. 
Oh, yeah. I, I love those, but if I was paying all the money in the world, I might do like a sports style leather outside with the houndstooth inside. Right. Yeah. Get a, get a little crazy there. And then other than that, I mean, pretty simple stuff. Limited slip diff. Um, it's still riding on the original 14s, so I'm going to keep okay. running 14s. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So, so hard to get tires for that thing? Oh, yeah. Finding, finding 14s anywhere is an uphill battle. Yeah. Uh, Vredestein does some good ones, though. Huh. They're not too bad. And then right working at the shop, we deal with all sorts of goofy tire fitments. So we got, you know, the help there. Yeah. I know when when my technicians drive E30, so that helps a ton too. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I know that when my dad started running the Maserati in in the racing, he had a hard time finding tires. It was a big thing. So he had to like do like a big hub conversion and the whole thing just so, so he could have like a common tire size because it was just like a nightmare that's a lot of people will five lug swap e30s but they end up using rx7 suspension components i think oh interesting Something oh, like weird that. okay i was gonna ask about the maserati what model is that one it's a bi-turbo Ooh, okay the, the the boxy ones the boxy ones yeah so at the time so when he started it was you know this was like 10 years ago or so now more than more than that now they were, it was like just an old car that nobody really liked. So they weren't, they were really, you could pick them up for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, and he did, he picked up many of them. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, nobody had really, really raced them or anything. So there was, it was not an expensive car. And this is actually my uncle bought, was maybe the second owner of this. Oh, Okay. Of the red car, the one that got wadded up at Watkins Glen, and this is a another one. But the original one was my uncle had it as like a a car um, back in the nineties, and then <laughs> and then it, this happened. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gotta say, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world for one of those Maseratis. No, and it's really it, it's super fun to drive. But like the hubs are, I think Subaru. I think they're WRX hubs. Um, um, because that's what they could get to to work. Um, and there's all sorts of like weirdo stuff going on under here. But um, and then like Maserati didn't change the design of that engine for like ever. They just kept iterating it. You know, like mm-hmm. that that by turbo design went on for a really long time. So there's tons of tons of low volume options for <laughs> you know where there's like six of them. But there's a lot of different options that you can swap in and out of this. So it's okay. Cool. Okay. And is that is that a V6? Is that right? Yeah, it's a V6. And it's it, based on like the the Buso. It's based on, I believe, a Citroen design. Oh, known for their reliability. No. Oh, yeah. It's the French <laughs> and the Italians. <laughs> a, a perfect together. mix there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I mean, when they can, when they do food, yes. <laughs> When they collaborate on food, oh my god, it's amazing. But uh, you know, mechanical and electrical, maybe not so much. Yeah, it's a Citroen block, I believe, and then Maserati bolt the turbos to it. I think okay. I have that right. Someone will correct me. I dad will correct me. I I mean, there are people that convert these to electric in the manner that you were talking about, Pat, with the motor to the transmission. Our buddy Victoria Scott drove one. 
Oh yeah. 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 She put up an article on Jalopnik uh, about two years ago about it. Yeah. 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 So worst case scenario, Ian, if you want to add more complicated things or remove complicated things from uh, your dad's racing team, or you just want to play a prank on them one night, just yeah. uh, EV swap the by turbo and see what happens. I will say that, you know, you're spe- you're, we were talking earlier about like not having space to do things in a, in a chassis. Yeah. This is not a large car, no. <laughs> you know, like I don't, the pictures don't really do it justice. The, uh, wheelbase, I believe, is smaller than a Miata's. Um, it's tiny. It um, is a tiny car. Yeah. But, but I mean, look at all that luxury. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They are a cool look. I've just never seen one in person. Yeah, because yeah. they all broke. They all broke. <laughs> <down>. <laughs> hey, what, do you, what is on the kind of short list of stuff that you haven't seen in person that you really want to see? Yeah, what would you love to see roll through? Or yeah, oh, that's really tough. Um, oh, one that just jumped to mind. Um, have you guys heard of the Radford uh, 62-2? Yes, that's uh, <laughs> Jensen Button's uh, new coach building project, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I was out at Fully Charged, I saw not Jensen Button, but An- Anstead's um, other kind of coach built car. It's kind of bit based on a mini and then there's elements of like miata in there too Mm -hmm. um so that was cool to see but then right when i was at pike's peak um when i interviewed everybody and anstead was actually the pace car driver so i asked him if the radford would even run and lo and behold this year they've just announced that there will be one running so oh wow that will be a cool one to go see yeah yeah Yeah. that's really exciting Um, that's amazing that's such a, this is such a cool project. Like, um, I'm super psyched about, we've talked about this a bunch on the show before, but like just sort of the potential for coach building as a thing to come back with the idea of like skateboard chassis and, and all of that, like, you know, here's my exact requirements and all of that. And here's a skateboard chassis, like make it happen. I can't wait for just weird shit to be rolling around on the roads again. Exactly. Like I'm, I'm amazed that like, right. Pin and Farina has spun off as their own brand, but I'm, I can't believe they aren't buying those. What are they? The MQB Volkswagen skateboards. Right. And building something off that. That seems like a no brainer, but right. Right. I don't run a manufacturing firm <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I wonder if part of it is like crash testing and stuff like that is just so, so difficult, but there's, there must be, you know, a way to, to, for the regulatory uh, kind of apparatus to like take some of this into account because this is, that is definitely the way that the technology is moving. And it would be nice if that would kind of catch up with it, you know? Yeah. If we could lean into that a little more and help get the manufacturers away from big beefy EVs. Yes. Right. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I haven't seen a Hummer EV in person yet, but. I have forward to it. <laughs> I have. I was in Michigan and they are as huge as you think they are. They're just it's just like silly, stupid, huge. I I haven't seen one yet, but it makes me think that I'm gonna have the same reaction the first time I saw a Ford Expedition in like nineteen ninety whatever, right? The first yeah. time I saw it, I genuinely thought it was a military vehicle. Like it was something so large on the road that I like my 
little Missouri brain couldn't wrap around it. Yeah. Well, now that doesn't even seem that crazy, right? right. Like it doesn't even like compared to like either the average bro dozer that I yeah. see on a daily basis. Like that's a small car. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not any bigger than any of the bro dozers. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I think Wild. I think what we've what we've established here is that the ideal form factor for an electric car is Lincoln Continental. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad we can answer that for everyone. Okay, mm-hmm. done. Get on it, Ford. <laughs> yeah, as well as Ford has managed Lincoln, I don't think they're going to listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> Although they do have a history of bad decisions, so maybe they will. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, let's. Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, um, should we? What do you say we we play a game? Yeah, yeah, Pat. We have a license plate game prepared for you. Yes. All right. So Ian has not seen this either. Uh, let me. Uh, so we're working together. Yeah. Crack open the folder here. This I uh, I couldn't really find anything uh, in the hopper to theme for you. So this is just this is just Audis with vanity plates, buddy. Just okay. I, I, do, do you have history with Audi? Give me general thoughts on Audi. Uh, my family is big Audi drivers. Okay. Uh, I've seen a few of the Quattro S1s in person, but Ooh. oh, and we sold what is it, RS2 right before I started at Farland. Oh, okay. very cool. The wagon. Yeah, Nagaro yeah. Blue. Yeah. Oh, the, my God. The color. Amazing. Yeah. V1. Yeah. 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 Did you, yeah. <laughs> did you sell it to Doug Demuro? Yeah. That we didn't. That was actually like our first bad taste with the auction stuff. We kind of had somebody farting on that car and that ah, didn't. Happen. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, here's some less valuable Audis. I can guarantee you. Yes. All right. Here you go. All right. So, yeah. Ian, do you want to narrate what the. Yeah. Audio listeners. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, okay. So we're promised Audis, and uh-huh. the first car is a Lincoln. Uh huh. It <laughs> is. Lincoln, the MKC. Yep. You're correct. Um, also known as the Ford Edge. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And it's in, uh, you know, old person pewter or whatever that is. And then we've got with really no, nothing to go off of except they need to change the rear windshield. Uh, their rear uh, windscreen wiper. Uh, we've got an Audi A4 in black, very clean looking mm-hmm. from Iowa. Mm-hmm. Not much to go on. And then we've got um, a beat up A6 with the, what engine is that? Can you zoom? Yeah. You yeah. Zoom? yeah. Three, three yeah. Two? Got the three, three two. two. Yeah. So this, that's a late, car that's a later model to have the three two that must have been like the last time yeah last of the run yeah right um but that's probably what like mid 2000s early late 2000s i think somewhere in the mid 2000s yeah yeah oh four oh five i'm saying okay yeah Yeah. and then the a4 is newer but then the and then we got the license place we've got audi j12 audio s6 and Rowdy, spelled R-A-U-D-I. It's a Rowdy Audi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Interesting. Pat, have you ever had a vanity plate on any of your cars? No, no. not even close. I thought about that <laughs> new Pikes Peak plate, though, that has drawn me in. Oh, is there a Colorado Pikes Peak plate now? So there's a, a Pikes Peak hill climb plate that came out just before all this new run of plates we've just had. Okay. I'm, I'm going to look it up real quick because I bet it's beautiful. Um, okay. Oh, race to the oh, cool. Okay. Nice. Look at that. Okay. All right. So yeah, I might, I might pay in on that one. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you've never done a, you've never done a, a custom plate. You've never done a. I have not. I'm not creative enough. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, neither are any of the people who get them. So right? you'd be in good <laughs> right, company. Right. But I, I at least, you know, acknowledge it. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Your self-awareness, which means you're not going <laughs> to get one of these. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, right. I would like to do a little bit of zooming and enhancing for you to kind of show you around this A6 on the bottom here. Okay. Because okay. I think it it has a modification that I don't know if I've ever seen before on these Audis. <laughs> this is not a shadow, whatever this is, on the door, on the door at the bottom here. Hmm. This is just black vinyl, maybe, something like that. They like installed a kick plate. Is that that's not stock that never came on any A6s? I did not that I know of. Ian's no. going to fiercely oh, Google I'm, it. I'm Googling. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Lower. And, and look at that that um, wheel peel on that front wheel. This has definitely been well used. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the brake dust is is that wheel is more brake dust than it is wheel at this point. <laughs> yeah. That that rear wing is really bothering me as well. Yeah, these little odd ends of it. Yeah, I, all the way over the daylight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I I just I want you to drink this one in. Yeah, because it seems some like something special to me. Yeah, but that, that one screams rowdy to me. But really, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I, I I'm not sure on the other two. Yeah, Ian, any takes? Man, I don't know. I, I kind of think audio S6 might be in the Lincoln. Like maybe it's just a coincidence that it says S6. Because also the A6 is not an S6. Right, right. They're not going to be bragging about the wrong model. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe they would. Who knows? People are <laughs> insane. Um, I don't know. Um. I'm still trying to figure out if that trim is stock. So there's there's the tr there was trim on that A6 that there was like black body trim on the bottom, but it didn't look like that. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is which is making me crazy. It's weird. It doesn't go down over the rocker panel. Uh huh. That's so strange. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I wonder if that's like a weird like u.s market only thing or something i don't know okay but that so i think audio s6 is the lincoln that's where i'm going and then audio audi j12 do we have did you have a, a theory on what j12 might mean i i have no idea hmm i just i felt so strongly towards rowdy on that that a6 Okay, I think I think you're right. I think Roddy is the A6, and I think Audi J12 is the A4. Partly because I think 
with the spaces, that's too many characters for Colorado. Ooh. And that's that's a non-Colorado, that's an Iowa plane. I don't know, maybe they allow more more characters than, than Colorado does. But I think that's too many characters. Welcome to Iowa. You get 16 characters. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our license plates are in hex. <laughs> <laughs> we have IPv6 <laughs> license plates. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's what I. I don't know. I think we. I think we're in agreement. Audio with the Lincoln. Audi J. Uh, uh, yeah. J12, and then the Roddy. That has been raw dogged. <laughs> Would you like to change any of your answers? I'm good. What about you, Pat? I'm locking in here. Okay. okay. All right. Final answer. I have news for you, and it's not good. Oh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, these people are way more crazy oh. than you give them credit for. For some reason, there's a person with Audi J12 driving around in their Lincoln MKC. Rowdy is the A4. And Audi OS6, because I think this person is doing a touch of car stanza to try to say that they have an S6, is on that A6. Yeah. Fooling nobody. <laughs> I will say this is one of my favorite phenomenon ever is when the, when clearly like, cause in my head, this is like an investment that's gone really poorly or, you know, they like, they, they, they lent their brother-in-law money to invest in a, in something or other that went bust and they had to sell their Audi and they ended up in the Lincoln MKC instead, but kept the license plate. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking they're a dealer. This is their 12th car, and they are an Audi dealer. Oh, this could be. They happen to be cruising the Lincoln. And when you're an Audi dealer, your favorite <laughs> car is something other than an Audi. The runaround parts car is the Lincoln. There you right. go. Right. Just full of fuses in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So thank, thank you, Eric, and thank you, PETA, for sending these in. Erickson in the Audi J12. I think in the text he said, your guess is as good as mine. And then (laughs) Peter sent me Rowdy. um, Yeah, uh, just just over the weekend. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So if they're doing some car stanza on that last car, Uh do you think it got that fin and body kit work before or after the plate? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think before the plate. I think that they... They couldn't get the plate, and it just looked like a vanilla Audi A6. They had to they had to fabouche it up just a touch, and then they're like, "Okay, all right, I'm you know Bryson, we're gonna go get the plate today." Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? So I'm looking at an S6, the C5 S6. Uh huh. And definitely, it had that that is the correct like trunk spoiler, but I don't think it had the spoiler over the back taillights, the back taillights like that. Yeah. I think they may have just made it out of putty in their, (laughs) in their basement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. People do crazy stuff. People do crazy stuff. They spend their money in weird ways. And like some of these aftermarket parts are way more expensive than they have any right to be. You know, like this, this wing, this, these little tack on wings, these could be 200 aside for all we know, you know? Well, yeah. Now that you've yeah. zoomed in, there's the fitment leaves, leaves a little bit to be, 
<laughs> desired on that. And who knows? Maybe maybe we're just idiots, and that that is factory, but it doesn't look right. I'm googling yeah. wing extensions. Yeah, yeah, it's and, so uh, odd looking. Yeah, all right? of the ones I'm seeing that it's just the the trunk lid spoiler. Yeah. And the more I look at the wing, the more I'm like, that would look great on a TT. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that fits, right? Yeah. I don't know. People be crazy. I've had that Audi 06 in my uh, hopper for years, it seems like now. Um, And then Rowdy finally brought the Audi trifecta together. So thank you. Oh, it's worse than that, guys. That trunk lid spoiler, that's an RS6. Oh, now they're jumping miles. <laughs> yeah, but they uh-huh. did not have the spoiler over the taillights. I'm sorry, I'm still fixated on this. <laughs> There's going to be a few things that keep you up tonight, Ian. Yeah, that. Yeah, that rocker panel final. Yeah, oh, so, so weird. Apologies for the insomnia. Yeah, <laughs> up front. Yeah, yeah. So. Pat, uh, we do a segment on this show, and uh, it's Ian's album of the week. And so, Ian, I was wondering if you had an album of the week for us. And then, Pat, I'd love for you to give us like a recent album that you like uh, for good driving music. Okay. If anything comes to mind. Yeah. Or anything that you've just been listening to lately. Yeah. Yeah. I am completely unaware of what Pat, uh, what Pat's uh, musical taste is. <laughs> Uh, I grew up in playing in jazz bands. So there's a lot of jazz influence there. Give me a moment and I'll give you my album. Ian's listening. Yeah. No, I like jazz. Yeah. I played electric bass for years. So lots of like Birdland and uh, Weather Report. I'm real into them. Okay. So more like fusion type stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, what is that? Hold, please. Hold, please. <laughs> Hold for Googling. Pause for Googling. <laughs> you might we, even know the Japanese jazz fusion fusion dude from the 90s. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I just very recently bought my first Japanese jazz record. There's a great album cover of somebody skydiving. Huh. Uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't ready on my album here. That's okay. Ian, do you have an album of the week? In the, I while, do. While yeah, Pat so, furiously Googles. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so while Pat is Googling, I'll go. So um, there's a new album coming out by one of my, uh, a band that I really like uh, that is fairly recent called Young Fathers. They have a new one coming out, but I'll pick their first record, which is my favorite of theirs, um, called Dead from 2014. Okay. Um, don't. I'm struggling because I don't really know exactly how to, they, they don't, they kind of defy categorization a little bit. So they're kind of, they, they're, they're all over the place as far as genre is, it goes, but there's definitely a, a bit of, a bit of hip hop in there. There's some electronic stuff going there. There's a lot of synth stuff okay. going on in there. There's maybe like a sprinkle of Afro beat happening. Um, it's really good. So, um, so they're on an- Anticon, which I, is a label that I'm familiar with because I'm a huge um, Cloud Dead and Restiform Bodies fan. So like really weird avant-garde 
hip hop, like very okay. crazy abstract hip hop. The yeah. anti-com label was very foundational to me in like the late uh, 2000s. Yeah. Okay. And that's, this sort of fits with that. Cause they are kind of like a little bit out there for a pop record. So yeah. Um, I, you will like this. I'm almost, okay. posi- I'm almost okay. positive. You're going to like this one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Pat, what do you got for us? So mine is called All of Me by Masayoshi Takanada. Uh, it's a 90s album. There's a great photo of a guy <laughs> skydiving on the cover. Okay. All right. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, Dave got super lucky. I saw you. Dave started typing the name and then bailed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Just backspace, backspace, backspace. Uh-huh. He's trying to, to name that last name without flubbing it. That yeah. alone was tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's like, um, I would almost call it like elevatory jazz pop. Just kind of bumpy, upbeat. Good okay. for like, like a morning cruise up Pike's Peak. There we go. That's perfect. Nice. 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 <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, I'll, I'll put links in the YouTube video to both of those albums. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, Dave and Pat, I think I think we done did a car show. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, talk, we talked about cars. Yeah. There was no taint sunbathing. There was none of that usual stuff. <laughs> None of it. <laughs> um, I'm glad I could help with mostly cars today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for keeping us focused. I appreciate that. <laughs> Pat, where can people find you? Uh, the and where can they find the magazine? Oh, perfect. Yeah. Uh, Shift Colorado magazine. Uh, Shift. You can find it through coloradocarsandcoffee.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Pat's Curtains. Um, P-A-T-S-C-U-R-T-I-N-S. We like the plural. Um, other than that, uh, go check out Pike's Peak. That's the coolest thing in the world. And go drive your car. That's it. Absolutely. Well said. <laughs> Dave, if people enjoy whatever this was, what should they do? Well, if you see a weirdo with a uh, an Audi vanity plate on a non-Audi car, uh, go ahead and text <laughs> it to us at 720-515-1391. Uh, yeah. And tell us about your Pikes Peak experience. If you've had one, come to Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Meet up and with us. We'll, we'll and, go karting. We'll go to Pikes Peak. And ruin my week of sleep by sending me pictures of Audis that just are like 5% not correct. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Trigger Ian with a tweet. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, everybody. Thank